0: Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are the God who created all things. We praise you, Father, that you always speak to us through your word. Help us to listen to what you have to say this evening, and help us to see more of the glory of the Lord Jesus, and your great plans for us in this world. Amen. Amen. We live in a world full of beauty. The world brims with the most diverse habitats. There are so many beautiful places in our world. Just go to Hampstead Heath and have a walk, and you'll see God's beauty in creation. There are so many habitats, from snow-capped mountains, to extensive grasslands, to hot, sweaty jungles, to awesome glaciers, and everything in between. And all of these habitats brim with so many forms of life, plant life, animal life. And there are so many types of plants and animals, so many different forms. There are over 390,000 types of plant. There are over 2 million types of animals, from the biggest blue whale to the tiniest beetle. Our world is brimming with life. Our world is brimming with beauty. And we worship the God who made it all, who is the creator of everything we see. Our world is full of beauty. But this world is marred by so much ugliness. We as humanity have been destroying the planet. Vast quantities of plastic flood into the oceans every day. Tons of rubbish are dumped into the ground. Forests are being chopped down at an alarming rate. And the skies are being filled with nasty chemicals. And now the climate is even changing. It's getting warmer and warmer. Ice caps are melting. Farmlands are reducing. And animal habitats are shrinking. And extreme weather is on the rise. And it's causing great harm and damage, often for the poor and marginalized of our world. They have to often move home and move to different places because their crops are failing. And it's only now in light of these terrible effects that our culture is becoming more aware, more environmentally aware. Green is the word of our age, and it's becoming more more virtuous to look after creation. And so the big question this evening is how do Christians engage with these environmental issues? Should we care for the planet? And Christians would disagree on this, and they've said lots of things over the years. It's a big topic, it's a controversial topic But what does the Bible have to say about this topic? Do come to the Q&A afterwards There'll be a chance to ask your questions This talk is only the starting point Because it's such a big topic But to help us with this question I thought we'd get our bearings to see God's big plan for creation His plan for this world And it's found in Romans chapter 8 And it's a good starting point so if you close your Bibles, do you turn to 11.35, page 11.35, and turn to Romans 8, verses 18 to 25. There's an outline with a, on the, on the sheet. So we see God's big plan for creation. And the big thing we see in this passage is that the whole of creation is groaning. The whole of creation is groaning. Now, this groaning is not the so-called English groan. Do you know what it is, the English groan? I'll demonstrate it for you now. Why did the whale cross the ocean to get to the other tide? No, groaning comes from deeply painful experiences, whether it's a bad joke or often things far worse. I remember when I had my knee injury in October last year, I was in so much pain. And I was groaning from the pain. I wanted more than anything for it to stop. I wanted to walk again. And if you're a mum here today, then you'll know what it means to groan. I've heard labour pains are nearly unbearable. And you'll groan from the pain. It's funny, there's not much difference between a maternity ward and a, a wounded soldier's bay in terms of sound and volume. And that's what we see in our passage. The whole of creation is groaning. Have a look down at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Paul is saying that the whole world is in labor, like it's ready to give birth to a new child. That's why there's so much pain and brokenness in our world. It's groaning. And we feel this groaning in all parts of life. In our relationships, in our jobs, in our families, in the, in, in the environmental crisis we find ourselves in. This groaning shows us that this world is not how it should be. This groaning shows us that we were made for a better world. But why is this whole world groaning? Well, Paul gives us two reasons in our passage. One looking back to ancient history and one looking forward to our eternal future. And so firstly, creation groans from its curse. Creation groans from its curse. So have a look down at verse 20. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Paul is saying that the whole of creation was subject to frustration, futility. The whole of creation is in bondage, slavery, to decay. And we see this in everyday life. We know this frustration in everyday life. We get bike punches on the way to work when it's raining. Technology fails at key moments. We often miss the goal. Unforeseen bills spring up like rabbits. And there are days and days when we seem to make no progress. We're frustrated. Relationships are messy and difficult, and we say the wrong words, and we cause unnecessary grief. And our bodies and minds, they decay. But it's not just us, it's the whole world. The whole world is marred by these frustrations. If you look at the ecological problems we have in our world, the deforestation, the use of resources, waste management, all of this comes from the curse of creation. And that was because of humanity's rebellion all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Before Genesis 3, God had made an absolutely perfect world, stunning in every way. It was perfect harmony in every relationship between God and mankind, between man and wife, between humanity and the world, every relationship was perfect. There was a world we were made for, and it was a world we all longed for. But what happened to that wonderful world? Well, Adam and Eve rebelled. They believed the lies of the serpent, and they wanted to be owners. They wanted to be rulers instead of stewards. And then God cursed creation because of it. So turn back to Genesis chapter 3 briefly, and we'll have a look at what God said to Adam and Eve. So Genesis 3, verse 17. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, about which I commanded you not to eat, curse is the ground. Because of you. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. So, through Adam and Eve's rebellion, the whole of creation was cursed, and we experience its effects today. This curse spread through all creation like poison through water, like cracks spreading through glass. And through the judgment of the curse, relationships were shattered. Humanity was banished banished from God's presence. Man and wife were separated, or they were fraught with tension and rivalry. Death and decay entered our world like unwelcome thieves. And the luscious garden became thorny ground. And so the whole of creation has been groaning through the ages. But it doesn't only groan from its curse, That you see in our passage, it groans for its exodus. And that's the second heading from these verses. Creation groans for its great exodus. Let's have a look again at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. Did you see that? That's really strange, isn't it? God subjected the world to frustration in hope. What does that mean? Well, it means from all the way back in the beginning, God promised to restore the entire cosmos. In Genesis 3.15, through the work of the seed of Eve, the serpent crusher, The creation was subjected to frustration in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of God, children of God. The creation waits for its great exodus. And there are lots of links back to the exodus back in the Old Testament. Did you see them? Just as Israel groaned under slavery, so our world groans from its curse. Just as Israel were liberated from Egypt, so one day our world will be set free, liberated from its curse and brought into the freedom of the children of God. And just as God answered the groans of his people all that time ago, so he will answer the groans of the entire world, the groans of his people. God will perform the great and final exodus of the entire world. When Jesus comes back in his glory, he'll make all things new. The day when decay will decay, it will be no more. The day when death is swallowed up in victory and eternal abundant life takes its place. The day when all relationships will be restored and everything will be put right. That is what creation is groaning for, longing for that day of wonderful rescue Entire renewal. But there's a surprise in our verses. Because creation is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. That's another puzzle, isn't it? What does that mean? Well, the sons of God are followers of Jesus. Those who have put their hope in him. Because it's only Jesus who will bring this about. This great exodus. And the sons of God, when they're revealed, we will be like Christ. Christ. We will be with him in glory We will be perfectly like him And that's what the whole of creation is waiting for for the, the, for the church to be seen In its eternal perfection in Christ What a day that will be And there's just a wonderful note of assurance here Because when we're suffering Things can seem so hard, can't they? When we're going through hard times But this passage is an anchor to our souls that this great exodus is coming when this whole world will be put right. Paul says, our present sufferings are not worth even comparing with the glory revealed in us. Our present sufferings, which seem enormous now, so pressing now, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's just an aside. But what does this passage have to do with caring for the environment? Well, I think there are two main implications from this passage. Firstly, we can't fix the world through environmentalism. We can't fix the world through environmentalism. Our efforts at recycling paper and using resources more wisely, they're all good things to do, but they won't fix the world. We can't undo the curse of creation. We need a far bigger salvation. If the world was suddenly made new, things would go back to the way they were. Because the root of the problem lies in our hearts. Our rebellion against God. Living as though we were the owners of this world. And rejecting him as our king. We need something to deal with the evil in our hearts. Rebellion in our hearts. And it's only through the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that can do that. It's only through him that can change the deep evil, the deep rebellion in our hearts. Only the hope of the gospel is big enough to save the entire world, to renew the entire world. And so environmentalism by itself cannot fix the world. But we've seen God has this amazing plan to renew the entire cosmos in Christ, to set creation free from its curse. So that was implication one We can't fix the world by environmentalism And secondly The priority of the church Is making disciples of all nations Because who is creation Waiting for It's the sons of God to be revealed For people to put their trust In Jesus Jesus commanded us in the great commission To make disciples of all nations All nations And we need to prepare people For the world to come The new world and that means putting our tr- our trust and hope in Jesus now. Because there is a day when Jesus is coming back in his glory. And it will be a wonderful day for those trusting in him. But it will be a terrible day for those who refuse to bow the knee. He offers salvation to the world now. But there comes a day when that won't be possible for anyone not trusting in him. And so the priority of the church is to make this wonderful good news Known to all people, for all people to put their trust in Him. That's our number one priority. And so, with this big backdrop in mind, we've seen God's big plan for creation. What should we do about it? How should we care for this world, this fallen world? Well, I think there are two extremes to avoid. There's extreme number one, which is only evangelism matters view, the only evangelism matters view. There is a caricature among evangelicals that caring for the environment doesn't really matter. As long as we're preaching the gospel and making disciples, then that's fine. And because the world will be renewed anyway, does it really matter? But the Bible doesn't say this at all. This view isn't reflected in the Bible. Yes, we've been given the the job to make disciples of all nations, but it's not the only job we've been given we have been given the job to look after this world and care for others. And then there's extreme two, the other side of the pendulum. Only environmentalism matters. This view is sort of really big on environmental issues, social action and caring for the poor. These really good things, don't get me wrong, these are very good things to do. But often, these things can become the central thing in our lives, the central thing in churches and we can miss the big main thing of making disciples of all nations. What we need is both. The priority of gospel proclamation backed up by lives transformed by the gospel, which involves caring for the environment and caring for others. And so it's helpful to have this big picture in mind, these implications and the extremes to avoid. But more positively, there are more reasons to care for creation. And so we should care for creation because humanity are stewards of creation. And this goes back all the way to Genesis, as we saw in our opening verse. Through creation, God has made humanity stewards, caretakers of this world. We're to look after it. Let's uh, read Genesis 1 again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase the in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature on the ground. There are many things we can say from these verses. For example, men and women are absolutely equal before God. Equal in status and in value. All people have immense value because we've all been made in the image of God. Everyone has wonderful dignity, those with disability, the unborn, children, the marginalized, everyone, people all over the world from every culture. We've all been made in the image of God. So that means all people are worthy of our respect and our care. And the Lord God gave his image bearers a job to do, the job of ruling over the world, Not in an oppressive way, but as servants, caretakers. We are to be stewards of his precious, beautiful world. We're not to be owners, but caretakers. And we saw in Genesis 2.15, God gave a similar job to Adam. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Adam was given the job of looking after the whole of the Garden of Eden, And that job applies for us today. All of humanity has the job of looking after God's world. And as a sign of this caretaker role, Adam was given the the, the chance to name all the animals, all two million animals. You can imagine his imagination running out. So imagine he's going for a walk, and he sees a four-legged creature with a tail and whiskers, thinks, well, I'll call this a cat. Then he goes for a walk down by the rivers, and then he sees lots of things swimming in them. I know, I'll call this a fish. But then he looks a bit closer. And he sees something swimming in the water, which looks like a fish, but it has whiskers. So he says it's a catfish. That's just a silly joke. But he God gave us the job of looking after his world. To be caretakers, to be stewards. And it still applies today. As we saw. Adam and Eve they wanted to be owners they wanted to be rulers and they took for themselves the right or the the desire to be like God and we see this, this grabbing idea all around us people grabbing what they want people living as though they were rulers of this world and not caretakers and through that we've seen the effects of that spread through our world People, in their greed, exploit others and the planet for their own ends. And we see these effects all around us. But we've been given a job to do. We're caretakers of this world, not owners. But God's redeemed people have far more reasons to care for God's world. We Christians have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. And God's redeemed people care for his world. They care for others why because it shows god's character his mercy and compassion we were rebels deserving nothing but judgment from god but god showered us with mercy and compassion and so we're to live lives of compassionate mercy to those around us which involves looking after the world and those affected by it i thought we look at the torah as a basis of, of how to live of uh, of showing the redeemed people how to live these laws in the Torah were never meant to, for us to earn our salvation but they show God's people how to live they show people how to care for God's world. so let's have a look at some of these laws. there's laws concerning the use of land plants animals and people so laws about the land uh, have a look at Leviticus 25. In Leviticus 25, God describes the Sabbath year, which was every seven years, the land was given a chance to rest. They weren't allowed to sow the fields, and the land was given a chance to rest. So Israel weren't allowed to squeeze the land for all that it was worth. They had to care and take care of it. They weren't allowed to exploit the land for their own economic gain. They were to be stewards of the promised land, not owners. There were laws about plants. So have a look at Deuteronomy 20, uh, verses 19 and 20. This is quite a strange passage. And it's when Israel, about to enter the promised land, and uh, the Lord gives them this law. When you lay siege to a city for a long time, fighting against it to capture it, do not destroy its trees by putting an axe to them, because you can eat their fruit. Do not cut them down. Are the trees people that you should besiege them? So here they are in the middle of this conquest of the land, and God tells them, don't cut down these trees. They're a part of this good promised land that the Lord is giving you. There are laws about animals. Perhaps the most famous one is, don't muzzle the ox." You might have heard that in our English language. And what what is a muzzle? A muzzle is like a little cap which prevents the ox from eating. And this is a wonderful, beautiful law about animal welfare. These oxen who are doing the hard work in the harvest, trailing the, the plows, they weren't to be muzzled. They were to enjoy the fruits of their labor. And so we can get from this that animals weren't to be harshly treated. They weren't to be exploited. They too are to enjoy the blessing of God's land. I don't know what God would think of the way our society treats animals today. Just think of the way our society treats chickens cramming together in factory farms where these chickens live in awful, terrible conditions, often in their own filth. What would the Bible say about such practice? What does this mean for us? Eating chicken, eating meat. Well, it means we should try and find meat, which is ethical. Um, there's lots to say. Do ask questions about this later. But it's very interesting to think that God is concerned about animal rights. And we can see this in Deuteronomy. But I want us to focus on uh, these verses from Deuteronomy 24. About concerning the wealthy, the poor, and vulnerable. Have a listen. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheath, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. This is why I command you to do this. So here we have a beautiful provision for the poor and vulnerable. The the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, those on the edges of society, they were to care and provide for these people. And we see again that the Israelites weren't to squeeze the land for all that it was worth. Instead, they were to use their material blessings they had received to bless others. And it's very different to our Western consumerism. We love to hoard things up, and rarely do our material blessings overflow to others. The material blessings we receive are meant to overflow. And so we care for the environment because it means caring for people. We care for the environment because it means caring for people. Because who are the people most affected by the environmental crisis we face today? It's the poor refugee, torn away from their land. It's the farmer working in poverty, fighting to prevent crop failure. It's the orphan living on the streets. It's a grieving widow, poor and vulnerable. And as Christians, we're to live lives which bring blessing to others, to showcase God's mercy to the world. And so we're to do everything we can to alleviate suffering. Suffering now, and suffering eternally. And so that means we should care for people now. This may have loads of ramifications for our lifestyles. And again, do ask questions in the question time. But we alleviate eternal suffering because it's only in Jesus that there's hope for this world. There's only in Jesus that there is forgiveness for anyone. And so everything we do in our lives, as Christians, we should point to him. Jesus the hope of this world Another reason I thought of Is that Christians should care For the environment Because we don't want to create Unnecessary barriers for people Our world is becoming Increasingly green Increasingly environmentally aware And if our green culture's culture Looks on at Christians Seeing us abusing the planet like everyone else It will turn them off it'll be harder for them to listen to the gospel message. So we've seen all these reasons that the Bible gives to care for our world. We're stewards. We're caretakers of this world. We're God's rescued people who showcase God's mercy and compassion. But what does this actually look like in everyday life? And I'm not going to give us a huge list of things to do. So there are so many things we can think of. But I will touch on a few areas. The first one I call is care for your own garden. Care for your own garden. This one's from Genesis two fifteen, where God took Adam to care for the Garden of Eden. So care for your own garden. Think of the spheres of life that you are responsible for, and think how can I be more environmentally friendly? How can I care for people in my situation? And then act on it. So often I find, I, I hear a sermon like this, and I think, oh yes, I'm going to do all these things. Monday morning comes, and I, I forget. But act on what, what you decide to do. Everyday habits can make a big difference. I find the three R's very helpful. Recycling, reducing, reusing. These three R's will help us to use resources more wisely. Um, Those little things will help us to care for God's world. And I want to finish by recommending this little book. It's called L is for Lifestyle, Christian Living That Doesn't Cost the Earth. And there's, every chapter is a letter, and it gives us lo- loads of ideas to think about caring for our world. And caring for our planet. But as I said at the beginning, this is only the start of the conversation. We've seen God's big plan to renew the world. We've seen that we're humanity, our stewards of this world. And we've seen that God's redeemed people showcase God's mercy. But for now, let me lead us in prayer. Praise you, awesome God, that you are the creator of this wonderful, beautiful world. And praise you, Heavenly Father, for this extraordinary plan to make this world completely new in Christ. And Father, help us to live lives transformed by this good news. And help us in every day to point people to the Lord Jesus. Help us in every day details to care for your world and for others. For the glory of your name. Amen.